Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Self Deaf Sundays, the podcast. Do 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 do. really clear that some of the learnings from this book has really helped bring so it gives you like a high level summary of everything that this guy had figured out the power of the subconscious mind and suggestions i'm so excited to have a new exciting guest on the podcast today who is saki yay welcome welcome how are you feeling you good I'm feeling good. I'm excited. I've uh, I've seen loads of your uh, your podcasts and your content for uh, like a year now, so I'm I'm very glad to be to be on here. I'm 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 happy that I'm here. I'm also disappointed that I wasn't asked to be on soon. <laughs> is that is that a little side? Dip? How come I didn't make it <laughs> to the list? No worries, man. So I mean, in terms of Saki, like we actually met through Instagram like most people meet these days um, and he's a fellow podcaster on Zero to Design with three of his other mates as the name suggests everything to do with design and um, we just met the other day didn't we like mm. just over a catch up with Susie and we're like he's all right let's just carry on talking and I think the topic for today's podcast actually came from a conversation we had last I was like even when we were talking we we're like I was like, this should be recorded somewhere kind of things. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yo, let's just jump on the podcast. So just want to say a huge welcome, Saki. And for people that don't know you, do you want to give a li- little intro, what you're about, and just let the people know who you are? Yeah, sounds good. So uh, like Meeks, I'm also in Nepali. So those of you listening here in Nepali, namaste. Um, I came to the UK in 2002. Um, I've been around the UK quite a bit. So live in Kent, studied in Sussex, studied in Manchester, worked in London. Uh, that variety makes me a bit of a varied person, which is which is always awesome. Um, I've always had quite a fascination with tech because I feel as though I've grown up as the internet has grown up. Uh, and then obviously coming from Nepal to here, it was always a very crazy world to see. Uh, I studied engineering and then got myself a grad program, um, as most of us do uh, or try to do after university. And then kind of by accident, I happened to stumble into product design uh, through uh, my friend, mentor, and now um, buddy as well, uh, DJ, who uh, I do do zero design with. Um, and yeah, I, I helped him uh, on a design thinking workshop in early 2017. And then I was like, wow, this, this seems like a very sensible way to, to work and approach problems. <laughs> Uh, then from there, I started to teach myself about design and then got some roles in startups, which obviously we'll talk about uh, today. Uh, and then mm. now um, I've made the plunge towards freelance side uh, after working in-house for a bit. So that's kind of where I'm at right now as a, as a product designer. Nice. Every time I ask someone that question, I feel like it's like you have to tell your whole life in like 10 seconds and say how do I capture everything <laughs> you know like yeah. do I tell her about the holiday I went on like <laughs> I mentioned I love travel but no thank you so much for sharing and I think from even from what you said like it's it's interesting because every single person I've um, had on the podcast everyone's had a different like career and motivation and stuff and you know you can't from what I hear you've kind of stumbled into the role that you're doing mm-hmm. right now um and um, it's funny because normally when I 
talk about OTED and it's like, oh, you know, what really drives you? But I think the conversation today is actually going to be revolving around career and the do's and the don'ts and kind of what made you fall into it. But I think taking a step back, Saki, like, first question to you actually is what was your first job ever? My first ever like job? Yeah. No, no okay, first ever Nothing job. Nothing to do with product design. Yeah. <laughs> So in my hometown, I worked in a cafe um, for just over six weeks. I think this was the summer before I went to university uh, mm. all those years ago. <laughs> and I very quickly realized I'm not built for customer service. <laughs> so I did not enjoy it at all. I had to, it was, I think it was you know, standard kind of shift work, but I was working in a small cafe. It was during the summer season. It was very busy. There's a lot of kids. And I got assigned to the small ice cream stand instead because I didn't enjoy the main cafeteria so much. So that was my first ever job in customer service. It humbled me quite a lot because I was like, damn, this is not easy. So now, you know, obviously whenever you do go into um, restaurants and stuff like that and you have the customer service people, always take that memory of like, don't, don't be, like just be a bit more kind to them because they, they have to deal with a lot of stuff. You've been on the other side, didn't it? Yeah. You got downgraded to ice cream. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was an upgrade. I thought it was an upgrade. Honest, it was. It was a lot simpler, a little bit further away from the main cafe, so less people. And every, I think, I think during the lunch breaks and the little breaks you get, you know, we'd, we'd just have literally like a calippo or a them. So <laughs> that was pretty sweet. <laughs> That's so true, and it's funny because the reason I asked that question is like when you were doing that job, like who who would have thought that you'd be doing kind of what you're doing right now? And I, I think that's just a reflection of the job market and kind of trends and, you know, what's needed and where your skills are needed. And I think going back to your experience, like working in, um, I guess going back to as soon as you graduated, right? Did you know, did you know, you wanted to kind of go into the corporate world or um, was it kind of like I'll just go for it kind of thing like what decision led to um, going for that grad scheme because mm. I'd love to hear your thought because I, I was in a similar position and I, I went through a grad scheme and you know it's competitive on all of that as well but like was it like an easy decision or what made you do that? Yeah I I have to say in this day and age I do I do appreciate the courage that people have to do something different at an early age because to take a like a wild life swing at 21 and do something that's different to the norm is something that I would never be courageous enough to do, I think, at that very early age. So I know a lot of people will do a lot of different things nowadays and it's not just typical try and get a job out of university, you might want to do your own thing, etc. But for me, that's kind of all I knew. So it was I was kind of like narrow-minded in a way but also you know it's not exactly a bad thing to, to get a grad job it's it's stable uh, you work city all kind of all kind of benefit that come out of that but yeah it's 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 all that i really knew and um, university careers fairs and things were geared towards getting this you, you, you're taught from your kind of peers in the year above you ask them what they're doing and they're looking for grad programs as well so yeah for me it was all i knew at the time and obviously with london you want to get like a you want to get like a good salary at London offered that and then with kind of networking opportunities with the growth opportunities you get in a big company that's that's always a great thing um, and then being in a like a grad program or like a training program you, with the assumption is you'd learn 
in like a structured way. So I thought it'd be a really good start to understanding how to work and what that adult working life would look like. It was in tech when I first took it, so I knew it was in kind of an area that I was interested in. But yeah, it was very much, that's all in, in my experience, uni was geared towards is securing that grad program. And then everyone you kind of talked to was doing the same type of thing. So it was very sheepish, but mm. there's a lot of a lot of benefits behind it as well, right? It's a good foundation to your to your working life. Mm. Oh, for sure, yeah. And you're right. Like I feel like at union stuff, I know some degrees to like entrepreneurship and all these kind of modules, but um, in general, the next key step is go find a job in a big company. Like they don't actually let you you don't hear a lot of promotion around like doing your own thing or you know start let me give you a 10-step guide and starting your own company it's kind of like the answer is go off and learn from from the big corporate world and mm. it's kind of just yeah like you said going back to what you said it's like it, i think it takes courage to do something um like the, kind of like you know i'll do my own thing without mm. that foundational knowledge and uh, I do agree as well, like, you know, with startups and stuff, you can do your own thing and you can pave your own way. But I think you still need that foundation of how people and companies work, right? Just like departments and functions and stuff. And going back to your um, experience with that tech company in the grad program, are you glad you did that? Yeah, I like to not have regrets. So I would say that whatever happened in the past uh, taught me something or led me to somewhere that I'm very grateful for. So no, I definitely wouldn't change it. And um, I'd say kind of like you're saying, it's that foundation for, for working. There's a, it's interesting, there's, there's a dude I saw on LinkedIn recently who I used to play football with and he joined Revolut as like yeah. an early employee. And I was very surprised because I didn't know of many people that went that route because he was the same class as me. He left in 2016 and then he went and joined what was at the time a very small startup. Revolut obviously has gone to be huge now, but he joined that quite early. And there wasn't, that's not many of those types of stories of, of, of people in 2016. I think it's more common now because I've worked in startups and seen kids come out of university and then just join straight away. Uh, when I was graduating, that was quite a rare occurrence. Everyone was looking for the the big corporates, the big four of the investment banks. If you're if you're geared towards the financial side, um, but there's yeah, there there was this one person that did do that out of the many people that I knew from university, and I was very shocked by it. Um, so it, yeah, they must have kind of been in a slightly different circle, but mm. um, a lot of people I think just have these goggles for the corporates at the beginning. Yeah, that's so true, isn't it? And what you said earlier on, like this idea around courage, um, it does take someone with a lot of courage, right, to do something like your friend that went to Revolut because mm. there, there isn't any guarantee of will this work out. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I think that's the risk with everything which isn't established. Like um, just in terms of like going and doing something that, no one has done before um it's interesting isn't it because revolute is a company that we all know and hear of and obviously it's been a huge success but you don't hear about hundreds and thousands of startups that never got to that level as well right which is two yeah. sides to the coin um, yeah, most of them end up failing <laughs> like they are they are on that side like yeah is, 
one out of maybe a hundred or whatever the kind of percentage rate is for the startups to boom. But yeah, it's it's definitely a huge risk. It's definitely a huge risk, and um, it's yeah, like you say, encouraged. But I think at this point now, um, if you are someone that is going into going out of university and then exploring, yeah, th- there's going to be a risk. But I mean. You, you might not be super tied into the success of the company early, unless you're like the first or the 10th kind of hire or whatever. But you'll learn a heck of a lot at the startup. And that, that's kind of what you want to be focused on at that stage in your career is just picking up as many skills as you can in the workplace. Definitely a lot of transferable skills. I remember being told in my first role, uh, first corporate role, like try to make sure that everything you do as much as possible is transferable skills. Don't just keep the domain knowledge. It's very unlikely that you're going to stay at this company for 20 plus years or whatever. So make sure that you're keeping an eye on transferable skills um, and that that will help you kind of going a long way. And I think when you're working at a startup, especially if you're coming in early or if you're, if you're young, you're going to be eager, hopefully. You should be proactive, all that kind of stuff. There's a ton of opportunity for you to, to go and get that at the smaller companies. At the bigger ones, you'll probably just have a little bit of red tape or bureaucracy that might get in the way if you wanna if you wanna go crazy or if you're super inspirational. But at least at the the smaller companies, there might just not be that many people, so they'll be like, no one's doing this. So if you feel like you do this, go on. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's so true. So, yeah, isn't there's it? there's definitely it's risk v reward as with a lot of things, of course. But um, I think the trend is moving towards like more and more people are, tr- are trying it and it doesn't come across as as risky as much i'd say it's it's the different type of experience that you'll get obviously corporate to startup pros and cons mm. to, to kind of both and it definitely depends on who you are as a person as well exactly yeah that's so true and you know i work in corporate but i have nothing but admiration for people that have got the courage to go out and do their own thing because mm. it is it is taking that leap right like you mentioned and i think it was goes back to your intention and your motivation and your driving force as well because with corporates it's like it's that name it's that safety it's that money it's it's that yeah okay granted it might not be easy to get in but it is in a way that easy route right and I don't know if you still talk to your friend from Revolut or now that you are kind of in that space like what do you think is the intention and the motivation behind doing a startup it's a very, very good question. Cut you off guard. Yeah, I didn't have my script prepared for that. <laughs> I'd say, yeah, it's it's going to be varied how you're coming into it. I think for for me, when I took the plunge, at least from my experience, it was to get more responsibility. It was to get stuck in into product design, get to get to grips with the whole end-to-end process, do a bit of research, run workshops, you know, own the end-to-end experience and then and, you know, work with product managers more closely, dev teams, etc. own stuff and things like that. So all of that was was about like dipping my toes into kind of like a, a deeper deeper part of the pool, you could say, which you might not get in, in corporate. And again, people's intentions are going to be different. But if you are looking to like, I think sometimes people just, I just want to do something that's a bit more exciting. And that excitement can come in the form of speed in that mm. there's a lot more change. Like corporates, just by its nature, you have 
large-scale operations and those operations have processes and those processes need sign-off etc and multiple people to look at it whereas a startup you might just have one point of sign-off and that's that's a huge difference in speed like it just means okay if you two agree then it's good to go it might be ready to ship it might be ready to build it might be ready to change x process or whatever whereas if you're in a corporate then you might have three or four people before it even gets to a point of sign-off to, to talk mm -hmm. through. So that speed, I think a lot of people look for that speed. Uh, one, yeah, one's definitely speed. Another one is probably the growth of a project. If you're coming in early into something and you want to see something build and be kind of involved in it and be a part of something greater than just yourself, that, that can definitely be a big thing for people when they're, when they're joining a small company. Like if you join as an early employee, you're just like, wow, a lot of people I'm sure will be thinking where could this go if you believe in the idea um, and then you know like the culture is, is definitely probably going to be one like a lot of startups you're going to be maybe just in one office one floor I know you're not going into offices these days but it might just be small enough for you to kind of get to know people quite well you know build like a quite an intimate team that works together like a well-oiled machine that may not always happen in a corporate. You might you might just be a bit top down or siloed, for example. So, I think it does get that kind of that that's kind of the I think colloquial feel that startups get. It's like it's yeah. fast, it's collaborative, it's ever changing, um, and all of that is somewhat different <laughs> to corporate, which is a bit more you know it's like it's like it's structured. Things are a bit more. Uh, bit slower that you know takes more time takes more people etc and again it makes sense because the risk level is different right when when you when you grow as a company risk management becomes a huge deal and you'll learn that as you kind of start to work so smaller companies like risk we don't have time to we don't have time to think about risk we have to get a product out to market we have to give value <laughs> to customers right whereas yeah. corporates you're just like uh oh, we need to protect the brand and etc etc yeah, that's so true. I think we touched on this last time we spoke as well. Was there's more at stake when you you know your actions could impact the life of fifty thousand as opposed to five people. Yeah, and that's just, just the reality of it, isn't it? Like going back to what you said, like if you want to try something new, in start with that, go for it. We'll fail, we move on. But mm. I think the, the repercussions of your actions isn't as impactful as you would in a bigger scale because. You know, there's money and I think once you get to a certain point, there's competition and revenue and all of that. I mean, naturally, you have that in all scenarios. But I think as a startup, you can just do your thing without having your eye, other eyes on you mm. because you're not at that level yet because <laughs> yeah. you're still in that, you know, making it up kind of thing. And <laughs> I think... It's, you don't know what you're actually doing. You're just figuring <laughs> it out. <laughs> exactly. And it's kind of like, it's funny, isn't it? I kind of compare it to like an influencer, right? Like if you've got mm. 100,000 followers... The kind of stuff you post in your story, you have to think more. How are people mm. going to receive me? Is it going to receive? Is, is it going to be received well, or am I going to lose people? But like, if you're an up and coming influencer, you can post whatever you want because there's no one there to look at it anyway, right? So yeah. I think it's that there isn't that those eyes on you to have to portray yourself to be the best. And yeah, naturally you want to do well as a company, but there isn't those beady eyes looking out for what move are you going to do next you can probably fail and no one would even know right <laughs> yeah no for sure for sure yeah you you could say 
you know, in terms of numbers, there's more at stake. I'm sure for the people involved, they don't feel as though there's any difference in corporate or startup at, at what's more at stake. But yeah, if you're working with 100,000 customers for this product and you're working with 10 here for this one, then whole different, whole different challenge. Um, and a, a lot more, a lot different, a lot more different in terms of the style of work you can do as well. Like if you're talking about 100,000 people and you want to contact some people for research, that's a process you're going to have to make sure that you're, you're taking the right steps through. Like you might have to speak to compliance uh, in your company to make sure you're contacting the right customers, you're doing it in the right way. Whereas if you've got 10 in your, in your little startup, you might just pick up the phone and be like, hey, you're free for a call at some point because they're an early have a chat. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to go to the day bed? <laughs> yeah, terrorists. <laughs> yeah. You, you, might just, you might just do it in that way. So, yeah, that, there's a huge difference there. Process is the biggest difference because that, that's, that, that's the fundamental thing that, well, I'd say fundamental. There's a lot of fundamental things. That is one big thing that helps company scale right is when you've got processes and systems in place but once you have those processes things can be a little bit slower but for the but for good reason so that it can scale and many people can join when you're a small company you might not have established processes you might not have systems in place and therefore you kind of figure out and then you can take certain liberties uh, with, with for example things like contacting users for for research maybe you don't have to worry about gdpr as much because you don't have a, <laughs> an officer that's there to make sure you're doing everything right you know there's there's just a lot of stuff happening and then yeah. you kind of have to, you will miss some stuff yeah at, at the bottom line is you can take shortcuts without having any <laughs> yeah without, re without huge repercussions yeah not to say that that is encouraged i do no, not encourage no. that at all but there's a lot of stuff going on and there'll be a lot of pressures and deliverables that you'll have to face and you as one person will not remember everything no it's literally like we move <laughs> like isn't it? um and it's just going back to what you said around speed as well um and responsibility one feedback that we got a lot as grads in the company that we i mean i work for is that we're impatient and we want things now and it's a common theme, right? And that's why a lot of people have bounced and done their thing and whatever. But like, now that I'm, I'm speaking, I'm thinking like, are we impatient or are we ambitious? Yes, a you very know? good question. It's, it's another very good question, Meeks. It's a balance, it's a, it's a fine line. It's almost like the, the, the fine line between confidence and cockiness type of thing. You, you sometimes, you can sway the side. Like it's, with, Oh, every part in life right <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's easy to it's easy to be impatient when you're younger um it's easy to be impatient when technology has made things so easy to get it's easy to be impatient when instant gratification is available at every corner um so i can definitely see that creeping into work but the ambition point is a good one because it's probably fueled by ambition it's probably fueled by a desire to be more efficient, to be better, to be faster, to produce value and things like that. At least that, that's how I would look at it. It's like if you want to get X, Y, Z done faster than what is the norm, there's there's probably a reason behind that. And it's not just because you're used to Instagram loading in three seconds. It's probably because you, <laughs> you kind of think that these are useful things to do inside of your company or these are useful changes to make. Or you just think this should be possible, right? So... 
I think it's, yeah, the, the ambition probably fuels it. It's definitely a case that you are probably going to be impatient, though, because um, you may not understand the complexity of certain things. Like, I still do this today. Uh, recently, I've, I've been through, like, a um, a payment flow uh, for a project that I was working on. I was like, ah, oh, payment flow, no problems there. Yeah, this should be fairly straightforward. Like, it doesn't seem so problematic. And then two weeks later, I'm just like, oh, crap, no. This is, this is not a small <laughs> thing. Like, payment flows are complex. There's a lot of different variables you have to consider. But that comes with experience. Like, I haven't done too many payment flows, for example, and I don't know kind of, I don't know like a good range of what is a normal time to spend on it or how long a deliverable could take for something like that. And you're going to be the same when you're starting out. You just don't know how long certain things might take. You might be ambitious to think, yes, we can do this. And like I said, it's fueled by that. But the reality is complexity might not be completely, um, completely, you might not be completely aware of the complexity because you haven't explored it or you don't know about it and you haven't experienced it before. Yeah, that's true. I think like that goes with everything, right? Like the, what you said about experience, like no one really knows what they're doing the first time around. And the second time they might have a bit more idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, yeah, many times after they still don't know what they're doing. <laughs> there's, there's just some indicators that you kind of follow. You've got mm. some metrics or you've got some customers. And it and they seem to be giving you the right signal, so you just keep going. Yeah. It's like it's like a game of hot and cold. <laughs> Do you know what? It's just a general observation, but like the longer I've lived, I, I've I've realized that everyone's just like as clueless <laughs> as each other. <laughs> honestly, no one knows. It's anything. almost like the more you know, the less you yeah. know. Honestly, yeah, I like there's so it's it's like the I remember this chart in like 2015 that I saw. <laughs> which explained, like, in terms of all the knowledge there is in the world, how much knowledge a PhD gives you. And it's like, you know, those solar system maps where you've got the sun in the middle. It's like, no, so it's like a dot. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, what what people think you know from a PhD, which is the sun, and then what you actually know, which is like the Pluto equivalent as like a dot in the corner, <laughs> <laughs> which is obviously a very specific part of the world. But yeah, yeah that's... Yeah, definitely. I think as 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 you do grow, you're just like, yeah, damn. There's either so much out there to to learn and know, or you're just like, there's so much more in your field to learn and know, um, and yeah, you're just like, oh, God, I, I know nothing, but I'm, you know, I, I want to learn and keep going. Yeah, and I feel like it takes a certain character to, to say that, right? It's like I don't know nothing, and I'm okay with that, and <laughs> I'm willing to like see what's out there. And I think I read somewhere yeah. as well was like. The history book is only going to get bigger and fatter and more, right? Because as the days go by, the history book is going to increase. And I think that's the same with like knowledge as well. Every day, there's new innovations, new findings, new ideas. There's always going to be more to learn, and it, you need to put your hand up and say, "I don't know shit." <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. and I'm okay with that, right? And yeah. yeah, I think that's the same with like, like you mentioned, going back to the whole startup thing as well. Some things you just don't know, and putting your hand up and kind of yeah humbling yourself as well and and being okay with not knowing is where the magic is i think <laughs> that's a, that's a great statement being okay with not knowing it's a very it's a very true point i think i'd say a lot of a lot of the kind of good times i've had both in life and just in work as well come from paradigm shifts and it's stuff like that is is you being accepting of the mm -hmm. fact that yeah I, I mean i don't know but i mean i'm gonna try i don't know but i'm gonna try and then you kind of just like maybe less frustrated maybe you're less like 
crazy optimistic and then you just you're a bit more pragmatic it builds pragmatism it fully does yeah you're right um and i think it's this idea around i had a chat with my friend around you know sometimes when things don't go to plan it sticks to you there's my friend takes things emotionally so like this is kind of like an off-topic kind of discussion but like do you know when things don't go to plan or there's customers yelling at you or there's a deadline that doesn't go well yeah you can either let your emotions get involved and you know shit starts getting heavy and you know the the work (laughs) fits into your um personal life and then there's another character where it's like okay that happened i'll deal with it tomorrow right there's two different ways of dealing with like crisis and Mm -hmm. when things don't go well um have you had any experiences in that as well and are you like the um i feel like i know the answer to this but are you like (laughs) i'm gonna let this get to me or are you more like (laughs) we move (laughs) yeah we move it's interesting you mentioned this i'm reading a book right now called the obstacle is the way which talks about turning your difficulties into positives i think i think we'd be lying to ourselves as humans to say things don't get to us like it definitely gets to us it definitely gets to me i've had issues in the past where i can't let things go and then i I've figured out kind of for me is like writing it down. So I, I journal quite a lot and journaling helps. Uh, I try to make sure it's not a lot about work because if that's common, I should change who or where I'm working. Um, but it definitely gets to us. But that's definitely true. The one thing that, and again, it's kind of from the book, Obstacles Away, but one thing that I started to do now is it's completely normal to feel what's just happened in the event. So if you, if you, if you kind of have like a, a difficult moment with person or you know it's it's like rudeness or whatever some kind of negative emotion you take a moment to soak it in and that's the it's the thing that i struggled to do i just jump in straight away but you take a moment you soak it in okay cool it happened and then typically i'd like to ask myself the question or at least i ask my friends this question when i'm having a conversation with them or whatever at work is what does this emotion achieve does this emotion achieve anything positive does this emotion achieve anything helpful it's, it's good to give yourself room to feel upset or to feel annoyed or to feel frustrated. Definitely have that emotion because you need to let it out. But to let it linger, what is that going to achieve? To let the frustrations, you know, go out into gossip or, or, or to actually just start keeping on talking about it for two, three minutes, four, five minutes, whatever. What is that actually going to achieve? Because you've got to be thinking now, okay, this thing has happened. Cool. How do I either remedy it, improve it, solve it, whatever? That, that's got to be kind of what you're focused on next. So give yourself the time to soak in what's happened and accept the kind of emotion you're feeling and then ask yourself, what does this emotion achieve? And typically, it won't achieve anything good. Like you being pissed, you being pissed for four minutes, it's not going to help anything. It's just you're pissed and then you're going to go in the circle uh, and not really get anywhere. So... What you're trying to achieve is probably to remedy the situation, whatever that situation is. So you've got to be thinking, cool, how do I do that? Does that mean sending a com- sending a message saying, hey, apologies for this. Didn't want anything to, to kind of be unclear or, you know, having a call with them. Say, hey, I'd like to talk about this. I didn't feel quite comfortable speaking to your manager, speaking to your friend, et cetera, et cetera. Like you've got to be thinking about moving in, a, in like a positive or progressive direction from there. And the question I typically ask is, what does this emotion achieve and normally if it if it's past a certain time threshold it doesn't achieve anything good (laughs) (laughs) that's so true i love that what does emotion achieve like 
I know that this talk around emotion is talked about more and more these days and it's like you know we talk about it in user ux and cx like what's the feelings we want to like, give the customer and stuff mm. but i think the we can apply that same analogy to ourselves right like it's okay to feel a bit down when things are going to plan we're not mm. robots like mm-hmm. we're not monks so like i'm sure <laughs> yeah. i'm pretty sure they have bad days as well do you know yeah, 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 for sure it's not, it's not all it's not all um rainbows and like lotuses and (laughs) peaceful music you know like we're humans and i think that's the um beauty of having emotions right and Mm -hmm. my one of my uh uh, mentors he actually said happiness is overrated everyone wants (laughs) happiness (laughs) do you know what i mean okay he was saying yeah <laughs> but in a spectrum of things like you need to kind of embrace all the thing and i think going back to what you said it's like recognize emotions all good and well as long as you don't let it linger and i think as you were saying about the side around lingering the more you linger on a topic the further away from the remedy you are right That's because true. distance is getting longer <laughs> Yeah, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. the path to remedy uh, two hours ago meanwhile you're sopping about it on the whatsapp group like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <you know? laughs> that is definitely not helping anyone no it's not some people know. love that though. they love a good mood like do you know what i mean like just complaining yeah. I, I don't associate myself with those people yeah, i was just gonna say the same thing i, <laughs> I don't, don't want that energy I'm yeah good. no I'm never <laughs> i'd say in the corporate to startup difference um voicing emotion is I, I think a lot less common <laughs> in the corporate world because of the risk. Again, you're just like, oh gosh, I shouldn't piss anyone off. In the startup mm-hmm. world, I think they're they're a bit more common, and you might have big frustrations. So, from my experience with the corporates, you're just like you're putting on a bit of a front. You've got the professional front in you, and you got you got to kind of keep that up as as much as possible, especially if you're if you're early on in your career. I think. Because you don't, it's risky, right? You're just like, I don't want to lose this, or you know, I don't want to detriment my my career here. Whereas in a startup, you're just like, I mean, look, do we want to do that? Do we want to build a good thing, or do we not? Like, I don't care. <laughs> so that's kind of how I've approached it now. Which is, in the startup, I'll definitely release it a lot more, one hundred percent, because it's it's a more one to one conversation. Like, I can speak directly to the CEO that is telling what to do. I'd be like, hey. This is not good and X and this is not good because Y. Here's what we should do because we have this data blah blah whatever. Obviously back up your statements, don't just don't just have a shouting contest. Um, that, <laughs> that is not helpful. That won't get you to the remedy. <laughs> that will not get you to the remedy. But in the startup you'll definitely kind of voice it more. But what what I'll do now is in some ways similar to, to what we just said about what does this emotion achieve is, is going back to like a bigger question which is at least for us as designers cx people ux people whatever we want to call it i find it quite easy to say what is the goal for the customer what is the goal for the business is this helping us hit both of those or any of those or one of those and if it's not and i'll ask myself that question first it's like okay cool um i'll give it a recent example there was a visual that I wanted to put on on a screen. I was like, okay, this can help emphasize a positive emotion because it's a purchase that you're making. We should put it on. And then the conversation swayed. One of the developers was saying, okay, yeah, you know, the visual seems a bit more, a bit more complex to bring in. Um, the graphic, you know, we'd have to think about how the color combinations look with different white labels and stuff. I was like, okay, fine. 
Uh, why don't we just slap some color on? And I just asked the question, it's like, hey, and, and obviously I'm, dra I'm dramatizing. They didn't just say, why don't I just slap some color on? But that's where the conversation kind of swung to. Imagine those exact words. Oh, I'd probably just leave. <laughs> I'd like, right, say no more. Why just slap some code on, slap some divs on that? Maybe. Go on, mate, do your thing. <laughs> so it, the conversation went to, oh, why don't we just color the background? And I asked the question of like, let's be mindful here. The goal is to excite customers. It's not to just fill a visual. Does filling the, the background with color excite customers? No, the graphic can because it can help bring out some emotions around this purchase that they're making. The, the, just the idea of a color being, being put on the screen is not going to help us achieve that. And that's one thing that I always find quite easy because then you're working towards something. Like both of you are working towards this common goal. And in the, in the startup, it's the same thing, which is like, hey, we want to hit X customers, right? And oh, these customers are having these problems that they're calling us up about a lot. We should fix this problem. What do you mean you don't want to fix this problem? What else <laughs> are we going to do, right? That's where you can maybe start to voice your concerns a bit more strongly or maybe it might get emotional. But that's, that's how I find to be very effective is you go back to like a higher question of what you're trying to achieve. And I think in product design, it's super simple. Is this helping to achieve a goal for a customer? Is this helping to achieve a goal for a business? Those are typically the two things that you're kind of balancing up most of the time right mm -hmm. that's so true and i feel like it goes back to having that guiding principle right like so often sometimes people get lost in the source <laughs> like people get lost in processes <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> people fully get lost in operational politics mm. and all of that kind of stuff i think if you have that clear guiding principle of is my action getting closer to making the customer happy or am i getting further away it's a simple question like that that will help you have that compass in a way, right? Everything I'm doing is for that key goal. And I was listening to a podcast about the Monzo CEO. I know that you mentioned about Revolut earlier on. Um, it came magic. out in that Stephen podcast, right? That's the one I listened to. Because I'd, I'd known about it since, well, yeah, basically since mm -hmm. Starling existed because we talked mm -hmm. about it in like our friendship circles and stuff. Um, and I and I, I've like when I was when I was like networking stuff, I'd met with people from Monzo to like learn about design and things. So, yeah, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty wild story. It's insane. But like, did you listen to the podcast? Because that's the one I listened to. And um, Ben, the CEO, said everything. I mean, he's a CEO. He's the main key stakeholder mm -hmm. decision maker. He said everything that he did was all around customer experience. Mm -hmm. Like even the fact that Monzo is such a bright color, that's there for a reason. It's a marketing tactic and. Yeah. Um, everything that they did is led with what kind of experience do you want to give to our customers and funnily enough every single person that worked at Monzo had a horror story with a bank before so they were kind of <laughs> yeah. fueled by that force of I don't want uh, the future other people to go through what I've been through right mm -hmm. so in their company their driving goal was how can I create the best experience I can to my customer and you know that has got them to a, a, a very good place and I think this goes back to what you said around creating products and design right every little tweak needs to contribute towards i did a course and it talks about like um gaining points in a piggy bank so like every time you enhance a product they should um there, there'll be a coin in the piggy bank so in the future if you do mess up there'll be enough money in the piggy bank to make up for your nice. any um, mistakes that you do so it's a really good symbolism of how, how are you um, accumulating in enough coin in your piggy bank with the things that you're doing right now? So in the future, if you do mess up, it's not going to be like they're going to leave for good. So no, I think that everything you've said is like so 
important and and i know that because we work in similar spaces we understand it but i think going back to this whole thing around corporate versus not versus but like corporate and startups is sometimes in bigger organizations not everyone has that same mindset right and that's where the mm. lack of progress speed change it takes time whereas yeah. in a small, smaller company like you say it's like is this action going to lead to a happier customer or not and then we take it from there you know yeah. You can apply the same principles that you you'd have in either place. It's just different in terms of how it might kind of like unfold. So if you if you've got a startup and if you think about the ratio of let's say you to how many employees there are, it's just like okay, cool. There's 20, 20 more people. Maybe even look at the ratio of or like the, look at the hierarchy uh, or the organization chart. It's like how many levels do you have before the CEO and when I worked at a corporate, I was probably like 20 levels down. That's insane. I'm, I'm never going to get close to ever speaking to the CEO. In a startup, you'll, you never, so, you'll never breathe the same air as him. <laughs> I, will, I mean, you were in the same lift, all right? All right you were in the same <laughs> fine, lift. Fine, I'll let you have that. <laughs> but um, yeah, in, in a startup, you might be sat next to them. Like, it's a whole... And that, that's, that's different. That line of communication is way shorter. And it has... A ton of like differences, um, ton of benefits, ton of cons as well in there in, in terms of kind of what is expected maybe or what might change because you might take one positive as oh the scale of change is crazy and you might take another negative as oh my god the scale of change is crazy nothing is ever <laughs> the same everything is changing every single day and I'm sick and tired of it right there's definitely pros and cons to both but at least in terms of what you might impact it's a lot easier when you've got less people um, in in the in the organization because then you, you kind of get to the decision makers faster um and then in the corporates if you've got 20 levels to go you can definitely start like you can be you can be the start of a change you can be a start of a movement you're just gonna take a bit more time probably to get there or you might have to do take a different approach to get there it's not to say that it's impossible i know people even in the corporate world that did interesting things to get known at the top top level so one person sent effectively like a research paper to the cto of the company this company is like 100,000 employees or like 50,000 employees whatever and that research paper got to their desk and then they effectively ended up heading up like an innovation role and it's like you can do that that's that's 100% possible you you put your mind to it and you can be proactive and whatever you just have to take a different approach to how it would be in a startup it won't work in the same way um, and, it, and it goes the other way as well like you trying to build systems and be kind of measured and and take your time inside of a corporate that's might not translate so well in a startup where they're like we need to get this done like yesterday and we don't have time to build components in figure yeah it's like somebody makes the ship sailed like <laughs> yeah exactly it's just like what, what do you mean you're just building the template we don't have time to do a template here. You just got to do the damn thing. So yeah, yeah there's there's definitely true. differences um, differences between the two different approaches that you can take, and you have to adapt to either mm. one. Yeah, that's so true. And I think what you said earlier on, right? Like, even the phrase like "Oh my god, this pace of change is crazy," or like "Oh, like the pace of change is crazy." Like, the same statement can be looked at differently depending on where you thrive the most. Mm -hmm. And I think. That this goes back to who you are as a character as well. And I was going to, you touched on culture earlier on, which is probably one of the, maybe the motivations of why someone might want to go down that route. But I wanted to get your thoughts around culture, right? Like in startups, 
you're from what you expect everyone talks to each other everyone's you know um thriving off of each other and it, it's a kind of like an extrovert in, in industry isn't it like you have to be the ones voicing your opinion like i'm not saying that introverts wouldn't thrive in that kind of in industry but people make assumptions of you looking or acting or yeah having a certain kind of personality to thrive in mm. a culture like startups but what are your thoughts on that like from both working in both what kind of character thrives or doesn't thrive in that startup culture yeah i i'd want to challenge the whole introvert i don't want to go too deep into this but i'd want to challenge challenge the whole introvert expert extrovert yeah. because you don't embody that character a hundred percent of the time like i can come across as a very extroverted person but there's times where i don't want to talk to you for like a day i'll go i'll go on a detox for like two i don't want this or there'll be times during the work day where i'll be like three four hours you know i'll want to be by myself and kind of focus down on whatever or maybe i don't want to collaborate because i want to kind of tackle this myself so as a, as a kind of disclaimer to what i'm going to say forward i'd be like i don't completely agree with the idea that you should oh no i agree yeah. with you as well because everyone's in the spectrum right like just because yeah, yeah. you're extrovert doesn't mean like everyone can fall either way but i think there's always that one dominant side in general yes yeah, yeah. the, the, the dominant aside. side for sure yeah <laughs> the dominant side for sure so i think in the startup world or in the i yeah, I, I I haven't seen a trend necessarily. I, I know what you're saying about voicing your opinion and things like that. It's definitely easy, but the quietest, what's that saying of like the quietest person in the room is sometimes is like the smartest or has the most power or whatever. There's, there's definitely different approaches that you can do. Mm. Some people can be very loud and outgoing and, you know, voice their opinions very clearly. Other people might be very measured and take take a step back and then say some very effective words, but very few words, and it carries a ton of weight. I'm booming it. Yeah, like, exactly. It's the mic quality over moment. quantity. Yeah, I've seen I've seen different types of characters, and I've seen people thrive in each, and I've seen people fail in each. Like it definitely can work in either or. I don't see a trend. It's just all about ability and like kind of where you where you're coming from. Like if your ability shines and your and your kind of like thinking behind it is is good and measured and like you know you, you've analyzed everything that's going on then that can come across well for an extroverted person or an introverted person and if it's not it can come across badly for an extroverted person, or an introverted <laughs> person. It, it can work definitely both ways so to answer your question i've definitely seen it thrive both um in the corporate world as you get to the very top from my understanding, and obviously I haven't had a taste of it as much as I have in, and, and gotten to see it in the startup side, I would probably have thought you got to be you got to be bold. Like you you can't be a nice person uh, and be kind of quiet and reserved. I don't think there's that many examples of it. I think you got to start taking some big risks. Like if you want to be the CEO of a big company, like they've probably got some good stories of how they got there, and it's it's probably not just being like a reserved kind of person that's just yeah. like yeah i'm just taking my time there's not that many stories like there's obviously people that climb the ladder of course don't get me wrong there's there's definitely stories of that but um i think having heard people like like the monzo thing for example you're saying like if you ask the starling ceo how they became the ceo they're just like i had to leave i had to do my own thing because i didn't agree with what was happening or you know we, we split off from a project that we we're working on together etc so there's, I think you've got to be bold uh, to be able to to get to the corporate CEO. That, that's my opinion. I think on the, the startup CEO side, 
you might just have an idea and you know any personality any person can have an idea to get to that corporate level um, and scale up then I think you're gonna have to be bold like even I'd say Zuckerberg who maybe is a bit more of like a introverted dude or like a, a techie dude um, I'm stereotyping here but he, he's he's definitely had to make some he for sure is a techie dude like yeah yeah he's, exactly but like I mean I, I know the social network's not fully real but the guy's had to take some bold risks um in his time for sure and i think the bigger you get there's politics there's ego exactly that, that ends up running what you do and going back to what you said around like is it right for the customer that gets thrown out the window because he's <laughs> talking about i don't care i, I want to build this all, all they care about is how, how how am i getting perceived how's my team getting perceived what's the board what are the investors going to say and, yep, yep. and i think that's the danger thing right at a certain point your um intentions isn't driven by what's right for the customer it's driven by how am i going to look good this is very true and I'm going to tweet about this now because you've just made me think about it, but follow the money. Give me a little shout out. Yeah. No plagiarism. <laughs> yeah. Follow yeah. the money. Any like top piece of advice for anyone that might be frustrated in their role or, you know, is, is starting out at, at, after university or after school or whatever, follow the money and it will make a lot more sense. Get to know the company's like balance sheet and business model and follow the money and you'll start to realize why strategy is done in that way like what you just said there about investors and the board they're running they might be running the show like i've worked in environments where it's like okay sure we should value the customer experience like you're in financial services you want to do good etc that's the kind of message of the brand and then it's like oh why does this not quite align to what we're actually doing and then you think okay cool we've got xyz goals to hit for the investors that's going to be a priority and it will just make your life a little bit easier when you follow the money so that's definitely a piece of advice that I'd give. I mean, that's so true, isn't it? Like, at the end of the day, everything that we're doing is for that, right? Whether you're a startup, whether you're a big company, the end goal is to increase revenue. You've got to be viable. Got to be viable as a viable, business. Man. It would be silly to think that we're not here to make money. So that's definitely a goal. Like, There's going to be other goals as well. Like, You want to solve a problem that people are having. But yeah, bottom line. Bottom line has to be hit. For sure, yeah. No, it makes complete sense. And I think... That also kind of touches the whole culture side. Um, firstly, thank you for providing all the insight. And like you mentioned, it's just like, because you've been on both sides and at the end of the day, we're still early on in your careers, right? Like yeah. we've still got hopefully not more than 10 years because I want to retire early, but like we've still got a lot. I don't know. I think I'd, I'd probably enjoy working. I'm like, what am I going to do? Did I get to scare me? I might yeah, just become like a coach you. or whatever. Yeah. But yeah. Just just do a little coaching session every now and again. Yeah. Live in, live in the Bahamas, you know. Yeah. yeah. Part time work. Part time work for sure. Yeah. yeah. Mate, honestly, <laughs> drink coconut water and do volunteering. <laughs> <Go> <laughs> Trust <laughs> man. Yeah. We're going to yeah. do some NGO stuff. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. That's so Yeah. Cute. But get it, yeah. No, honestly, that I think that gives us really interesting insight into both the corporate and the startup world. So thank you for sharing all your insights. I actually had one question that I wanted to bounce ideas with you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, you know, startups, corporates, it's very that's how things have always been done. <clears throat> and you know, you either fall in this or the other category. Um, what do you think the future of work is going to be like with trends, with AI, with 
potential robots <laughs> coming along. Oh here. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, actually, I, I have, I have a very, I have, I have quite, I have a fairly strong opinion on this. Uh, so I, I've, let's talk economics just for a second here, which is, I've always, I've always thought like, when is the next inflation jump that's coming? So obviously, from the nineteen hundreds to two thousands, whatever. Uh, Inflation's been crazy, like $1 then is like worth whatever, 230 whatever dollars now. Inflation's gone crazy and then you, you kind of have spikes every now and again, world wars, technical revolutions, etc. And I've thought for the last 10 years, what's going to be the next spike? Like, is there going to be an inflation next spike? Thing, yeah. Exactly. So it's been steady. Like we've, we've had low inflation and low and steady inflation for like a decade with, with austerity and stuff, right? And then I was like, okay, cool when's the next financial crisis happening and when's when are we going to get an inflation spike and then the weirdest thing happened obviously with covid because no one expected that he's like this isn't how markets normally you might nowhere, isn't it? yeah exactly <laughs> but then i was just like wait a minute this is we are witnessing the inflation spike you can see right there's a shortage of supply and an excess of demand because there was all this pent-up frustration from lockdowns and things like that everything's becoming more valuable growth is everywhere i don't know if you've been following like vcs the the kind of it look you know the companies that are being bought now is insane everyone's buying you know you could you could say it's like the roaring 20s whatever we are everyone's making moves exactly we're in we're in that phase of inflation happening right now and the reason i kind of preface it with the economic side because i'm like okay well what's gonna happen in terms of like cost of labor what's going to happen in terms of cost of services because now with with these kind of things becoming more and more expensive you're just like oh okay well now design um for example design roles are becoming very lucrative because you know if things go digital then someone needs to build that experience and design becomes now a valuable resource so tech jobs now become super valuable and then you know build it and they will come type of vibes the demand is there and you're just like, okay, well, people are going to move towards these jobs where they're building things. And the products that they're building or the things that they're building end up just replacing us, right? That's, that's obviously where the world is heading. <laughs> Catch 22. So you've got, the, you've got inflation that I, I think is tied into more and more. Obviously, inflation with it comes with, like, you know, bigger salaries and stuff. So the point where it's like, okay, more of these jobs are going towards building products that become make the world more efficient. And then now I'm just like, oh God, what is not possible to automate? And I'm, I genuinely think we've, we're on a very fast track to that because I don't, I don't know what your opinion is, is on this, but life is never going to be the same. This is how I look at it. Life is never going to be the same. We're going to live with COVID. People will be a lot more aware now of, um, of the kind of like health side of it. I don't know if life is ever going to go back to the whole we're going to grab each other and touch each other all that time. I know America's on a, you know, you don't have to wear masks and stuff, kind of wave. I don't know if that will continue on forever necessarily. And we'll, we'll see how it goes in terms of cases, even though deaths are low. But I genuinely do think like us being, us moving away from like the physical service side, being at home, high streets now are different. Those, those kind of little bars and restaurants, you've now got more things on delivery. The, the kind of like Nisa locals and the supermarkets, you've now got apps where you can kind of order your uh, your groceries. There are more and more of these products that will exist and I think that are going to keep being built that will just automate more and more of these 
what we didn't even think we like we enjoyed doing probably before but now we kind of like either don't enjoy doing or maybe we kind of deem as being risky and i think that's just going to keep growing and growing so i think we're on a like this this decade coming up is going to be huge for automation and robotics that like i just genuinely see this as where it's actually changed to now like the the jobs that can be automated will 100% be automated but i think covid's like this will actually accelerate it more than maybe people think and it will keep going because i think we're going to learn to live with this kind of new new way of of living right which the physical service side i think the physical service industry is going to is has and will take a, a hampering right like i i've been to parts of central london like farringdon farringdon used to be an absolute hub because of the city workers go to farringdon now on like a sunday or a saturday or a Friday evening. I don't know what it's on Friday, evening, but Saturday and Sunday, <laughs> dead. Is and that's yeah. Farringdon. Mm. Like that. That's meant to. That's zone one. Like you're in zone. It's not meant to be quiet you're necessarily. Central, central, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I think we're on a very fast track to moving towards automation. I see it tied to kind of the inflation side and how tech jobs are becoming more and more like lucrative, um, and more and more people are getting into. Um. So that that's kind of my stance is yeah we're we're on a we're on a like you know a roller coaster down we're we're going pretty fast yeah and like you say I mean like COVID is a catalyst right this was always bound to happen and I feel like COVID is just like do you know like um, is it Super Mario Kart where you have like <laughs> the banana like whatever you have and it just goes woo like I think that's you mean that's, the mushroom. The mushroom. No, you, you, no, no, no. Just like Super Mario Kart, like where you have the little oh, star really fast. Oh, the the the, the bullet bill. The little yeah, the little boost. That's where we are right now. We're mate, we're yeah. like whizzing through, aren't we? Genuinely. And it's, it's so funny because I I completely agree with what you're saying. Um, me and my uncle, who's into all of this, we used to have chats about this like years ago. And the reality is, you know, people get scared that automation AI is going to take over. Uh, humans jobs but in a way like i feel like it's only pushing humans to its full potential like it's, it's forcing people to be creative yo yeah I, I kid you not i i had the same thought the other day right which is right through throughout human history yeah. like we yeah. evolution has enlarged like we've evolved by becoming more efficient in large part right okay so let's say um we need to to hunt okay cool we're gonna get better at running or you know we, we can breathe at the same time as we run on like other mammals so we shed we don't have hair uh, fur or whatever or you know we, we don't work in this climate so we're gonna go to somewhere else and kind of build that or we're gonna adjust our melanin and our skin so that we can survive the, the kind of um uv or whatever we've become efficient with time and we're gonna keep going and becoming more efficient right so we like the human brain is one level of a level of efficiency what's more efficient than a human brain a computer brain but like a computer <laughs> is more efficient right it can do more calculations that's so true yeah. it's become it's like it's not quite the same logic because there's, there's there's certain games that still humans beat computers at. i forget i think it's go what's the classic game i think it's go or something that humans still still can beat a computer on but like with ai it's definitely going to get better and the computer brain is more efficient. So isn't it 
natural then, based on what has happened in the last hundred thousand years or whatever of evolution? That we Isn't that our goal? Efficient, yeah. Right? Isn't it's that like, our goal? This is actually you know I mean? the purpose, because you're moving towards something more efficient. <laughs> that's how we've survived. So we're building something that's more efficient than us. And the reality <laughs> is, if we are 100% efficient in certain things in life, we can focus our energy in other things, in it, <laughs> which yeah, is like you, you get to this kind of yeah. you get to a different state no, where <laughs> everything is given to you by the government. I mean, there's there's more of a philosophical question here, but you get to. I've had this conversation with my friend where it's just like you can get to a point where it's just like the state gives you a wage, and then you kind of go off and live life because so much of uh, so much of you know the world is automated or used by done by robots, so it's very efficient. And then, you know, yeah, we can do what we want. <laughs> but yeah. but I think the the key thing here is creativity is where it's at. I mean, I know this idea around like can robots be creative? I don't know if that has ever been solved, or I don't know if robots can have ideas and creativity. I don't know if that's the case, but from what I know and my point of view is that that's the bit that will let us differentiate from these computers that can do these efficient work. So, mm-hmm. in a way, automation and AI is forcing us to be creative isn't it because it's like the ai is going yo let me take care of that manual stuff (laughs) you take a back seat you focus on bigger things and in a way it's forcing us to get out of our comfort zone that's the bottom line Hmm. we're privileged to be in this position to even talk about this right now to talk about it to to have been in tech all that kind of jazz but yeah (laughs) the more the once you do know like complaining is what will it achieve ask yourself that question what will that emotion achieve right spoke about like just in the beginning where you said you know you went through that grad scheme because that's what we've been taught and it's that you know safety and it's great in a way because the foundational knowledge and I think the more you get into that world you start looking at what else is out there and when I asked you the question around the intention like it's all about you know why would someone make that move with speed um culture right and and talking about Ownership. ownership yeah and yeah, being ambitious, I think that's the bottom line and being okay with it and, and thriving in what yeah, you do. Yeah. And also going back to this whole idea around obstacles and dealing with it and, you know, all of that kind of stuff and finally yeah, ending it with the future of work. I mean, who knows, right? One thing I always tell like people I speak to is the, the job that we'll be doing in five years' time doesn't exist right now because we don't know what that job is, right? The job that we will be doing, you, there's no point doing a five-year PDP plan because the job that you'll be doing doesn't exist right now. That's actually cool. Sounds good. I mean, yeah, I think that brings us to the end of the podcast. I know that we've gone on a bit of a rant, but it's ex- it's like uh, this is the kind of stuff that we talk about all the time anyway. But I think yeah. ho- hopefully for the people listening, hopefully that was insightful. <laughs> and also, want to say a huge thank you to Saki for just coming along and talking about corporate startups and jobs and ai and everything in between (laughs) there's all the fun stuff to talk about right now isn't it (laughs) thanks for having me loved it for sure mate no thank you and i'll let you know when the podcast comes up awesome cool thanks Thank you guys once again for listening to another episode of the podcast hope you guys found it as enjoyable as i did recording it and if you want to share some feedback or show some support feel free to follow me on at self sundays with a double s on instagram and i look forward to catching you same time next week Thank you.